Hello and welcome to another episode of the European Tour podcast with me, Dan Burke, brought to you by One Football. Joining me on this Champions League special edition are Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Joel Sanderson Murray. Hello. So, did you both enjoy the football this week? It was the. Uh, it's, I was thinking watching that game last night. That this is what the Champions League is all about, isn't it? It that was that was the excitement, wasn't it? That was it. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about City nil, Sporting yeah. nil. By the way, I don't, I don't know anything else. That I, t- went I tell you what wasn't the Champions League. Just very quickly is watching Real Madrid on TV and seeing absolutely no fans in like the first six rows. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't like that, that either. I it was like watching in an empty stadium, Exactly, I was thinking, are they there? Like, what, what, I, I, isn't it something to do with sponsorship? I don't know. I don't know what that's about, actually. Do you, do you have any idea, Joel? Well, it's got a reduced capacity on the stadium at the moment, because they're doing building works on, um, right. on expanding. I think it's something with that as well. But, uh, I mean, it's better than watching them in their reserve stadium last season, which was just... Yeah. Ooh, wasn't it? Liverpool lost there, didn't yeah, they, last that, season? Yeah, we did, yeah, we did. Yeah. Sorry to oh, remind yeah, you about did. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to begin at the Bernabeu, where Real Madrid, of course, sensationally came from two goals behind to dump PSG out on Wednesday night, courtesy of an incredible 17-minute hat-trick from Karim Benzema. Remarkably, there were just 12 seconds between Benzema's second and third goal. Uh, what was your reaction when that third goal went in, Matt? I, I, I was astonished, because... I. You know when you hear the noise from the crowd, but they're still pissing about with the replays on TV. So <laughs> suddenly you see it, and Vinicius, I think, on the left, and the ball comes across for Vinicius. It just felt like Real Madrid were riding a wave. Ever since the first goal, since the Donnarumma era, Real Madrid just had this push and the noise, and there was a real sort of football heritage in motion, is the only way mm. I could really d- describe it. It just looked like... It really summed up PSG's second half performance that Benzema came on to that without breaking stride, the third goal. PSG looking like statues. And he knew straight away, he was like, yeah, I'm just going to run and get ahead of the defender outside of the right foot bottom corner. Thank you very much. It looked, it was so fluid. Beauty of a finish, yeah. yeah. I was watching on the uh, the DAZN conference that they have here, which for people mm. outside Germany might not know, it's a kind of simulcast of both games where they flick between the two games when something happens, when a goal goes in, they'll flick between the games. And in the first half, when it was nil-nil in both games, they were showing a little bit of the City Sporting game and then going back to the Real Madrid PSG game. I reckon for about the last half an hour of the game, they didn't go to the City game once. <laughs> and I was glad because I was like, I don't want to watch that. I want to watch this. This is brilliant <laughs> how was it for you Joel you you were in the office with uh, with some of our, our Real Madrid supporting Spanish colleagues so it must have been pretty exciting there yeah it certainly was I mean one of them which you know we'll, we'll name him called Alejandro who um, <laughs> reacted to that third goal in a way that I can I mean I don't think I've seen a grown man make this move before where you just end up pelting up and down the office uh, continuously and, and you wonder like Okay, what would what would make any man ever do that? And uh, <laughs> I guess football is the answer, and it's it's just remarkable, and it's, it's still getting me now. Like if, you know, a day after when um, you talk about the Champions League arriving, I think this is finally the time this year that this this actually arrived. It was this week, and and that game in particular. I mean, it's just knockout football, is brilliant, isn't it? And you mm. get these these moments where games just just. Turn on a, on a sixpence without actually any any logic to it, and I mean I, I can't actually it sort of justify what happened in, in what happened in that last like seventeen minutes in my, in my head because PSG were in complete control, weren't they? Mm-hmm. And for for three quarters of that game, three quarters of that tie, and then suddenly it just completely changes in, in the blink of an eye, and it reminded me a bit, and I, I don't want to you know. Reference Liverpool too much because that's not making it all about Liverpool. But imagine being in the stadium when, when Liverpool played Barcelona, and that's the only sort of comparison that comes into my head straight away. Um, where it's the mood just completely changes just like that. And in, in that Liverpool, in that game with Barcelona in the semi final, you know, why not? scores two goals in, in the space of three minutes, and you just just knew that was that the third goal was coming as soon as that second goal comes in to, to level the tie. And I think yesterday, as soon as Benzema gets that second. You you know Real Madrid are going to win this side. That, that, that mm. is happening. And whatever way it happens, whether it goes to extra time or penalties, that, that the mood had completely changed. The vibe had completely changed. That was going to be Real Madrid's game. And 
it's just brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. I was also thinking, I mean, the, the first leg was in my mind, you know, that, that first leg in Paris where Real Madrid were pretty timid. You know, they didn't come out, they didn't come, come and play, they didn't take any risks. And the way they performed in the first half of this game, it, it looked like Ancelotti's plan had backfired so badly. Matt, did you think that Real Madrid had any chance of coming back when they were they were 2 nil down in the tight half time of this game? And, and what do you think changed for them in that second half? I didn't really think so because I would have thought at half time you think right Real Madrid have got to do something they've got to score three um, it would have played into the hands of a team with a lot of pace on the counter attack mm. you just it, it just it's obviously a lot more complicated than that a football match but you just would have thought with Real Madrid pushing forward more space in behind for likes of Mbappe they're going to get killed here but like I said earlier the switch as soon as Donnarumma made that mistake. And they got the goal. It just felt like Real Madrid thought this is our time to strike. And you have to, you have to be some sort of team to to pinpoint when your opponent's a little bit weak and to really go for it. And they did, like you said, what was it, seventeen minutes to completely turn the game around. I just think there was this, yeah, this this now sort of knowing knowing at the right time to take your chances was. And PSG from then on just looked like statues. Like they just did mm. not want any of it. And it was so shocking to see our team could be so different from the first half to the second half. <laughs> what about those subs, Joel? The um, I mean, I mean, Tony Kroos is a fantastic player. We know that. He, I don't think he was fully fit in this game, was he? He didn't, he didn't have a particularly good game. Marco Asensio, I've been a fan of his in the past. I thought he was pretty awful here. Ancelotti took them both off. He put Camavinga on. He put Rodrigo on. Do you think that was the turning point for them, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know, Kroos missed the Real Sociedad game the weekend. Is a mm. hamstring injury. And I, I think it's one of them where... I don't think they're expecting him back for weeks, and, and then suddenly he's back in training. Yes, um, on Tuesday, and, and then starts yesterday, and I, you can clearly see he was right. And but I think if you can get Tony Cruz on the pitch, you, you, you do what you can and, and get him out there. He needs to got one leg working, but it didn't quite work because that Real Madrid midfield was absolutely overawed by you know Verratti and, and uh, Perez, and, and then you know they didn't get close. To them. You know when PSG started getting to their groove midway through the first half, and uh, no, I think I think he was spot on. I think that the, the game did the turn ahead when when there was changes coming on, and it, it just gave him a bit of zest and energy. And, and mm. you know, they get the that first goal, and then that suddenly changes. You know f- through the the energy that the players came, Cameron and Cummins and, and gives them. And I think Rodrigo really impressed me when he came on as well. Yeah. And I think that sort of freed up Vinicius. Sort of suddenly had more space because he had another. Sort of, you know, quick player. PSG had another quick player to deal with then, and then Vinicius suddenly has a real effect on the game. But it's, I, I, I think, you know, Ancelotti didn't play this very well. But I think sometimes football maybe isn't well, this game in particular isn't really down to, I guess, tactics and and changes. I just think the crowd has such an effect on that last mm. night, and I think that's how the third goal comes by because. You know, suddenly I, I, you don't really see how Real Madrid get the ball from from kickoff. Like it just <laughs> magically happens from that second goal, and then suddenly Vinicius is is free and run that goal. Marquinhos actually does quite well to get across and deal with it, but he makes a mistake that, and, and he's a quality centre half. You know, probably in the best ten in the in the world for central defenders, and he makes a mistake that you wouldn't, you know, you don't see the league one defenders make. It's and he's only doing that because his mind's not quite there because the fans and the crowd have it's such an effect and and that noise and I, and I think it just I think the stadium had, had, um, had played a bigger role than anything else in that in that game yesterday and then the way it turned out. Yeah. Do you think, Matt, I was thinking during the game that was this tie a great advert for scrapping the away goals rule? I know it's not been hugely popular with everybody, but that second goal, you know, Mbappe's first goal in, the, in this game, it, it makes it 2-0 on aggregate. Now, last season, that's that means Real Madrid have got to score three goals. All right, they did score three goals ultimately, but do you think kind of psychologically, knowing that they just had to score two goals to get back into the tie, they go in at half-time, they've got a chance there, haven't they? Three goals, it, it, it seems like it's it's out of reach. I feel like PSG might have been able to grind it out from that point if the away goals rule was applied. Oof. I mean, yeah, a lot of ifs and buts there. Potentially. Potentially, but I think that the thought in Real Madrid's head, especially when you, you are a club like Real Madrid, wouldn't necessarily be, even though there are no away goals, sort of two goals gets us back into it. I think they just would have gone for the outright 3-2 victory. I don't think I, I don't think it maybe played too much in their head, but certainly it could in PSG's. Like knowing that that wouldn't count. I mean, did they try to shut up shop? 
what's sort of the bigger question I have. And if they did, <laughs> they did a terrible job of it. Um, you, you could also argue that it's not necessarily in certain teams' DNA to, to try and be more defensive. Um, I think it had more of an impact in the first leg, truth be told, where Ancelotti did not feel the need from how defensive and timid they are to get an away goal to sort of bring anything back to the burnabout. Do you know what I mean? In, in, case, in case PSG were to score. That's where I think it had more of an effect rather than last night. I, I think we'll see the, the, what the, the change in the way go rule. I think we will see at some point in, in one of the ties coming up uh, the effect that will have. And maybe it'll be, you know, Juventus Villarreal 1-1 going to second leg, Atletico Madrid, United 1-1 going to second leg. And if one of those finishes 2-2, let's say, and it goes to extra time, that's when we'll, you know, usually that would mean one of the teams would go through. But, uh, uh, I think that's when we'll see, and, and we'll see whether it's beneficial or, or a hindrance. And I, I think the jury is still out on it. I, I personally wasn't a massive fan because I think the away goal just adds, adds a bit of sort of a mood uh, to to knockout football. And but um, obviously, open to see what effect it will have. And I think maybe too early to judge on that just so far. But uh, you know, I, let, let's see. I'm not sure it had too much of an effect on last night. <laughs> well, I'm a fan of, of getting rid of it. I've seen City knocked out the Champions League one too many times on away goals, and it, it was time it was time to go for me. You're talking about Alejandro running Lems to the office. I did that when we beat when we when we beat in uh, uh, quotation marks Spurs in the Champions League a couple of years ago. And by the time I got back to my desk, the goal had been ruled out <laughs> by VAR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've got. My, the scars are still still uh, wide open for them. <laughs> do you think uh, Do you think PSG panicked a bit in this game, Joel, or, or was it Real Madrid's pressing that kind of forced them into mistakes? I'm thinking particularly the the Marquinhos error. Was was that you know a case of uh, a man who's a very good defender and, and a bit of a leader just kind of losing his head? Really, I think yeah, I think they, a lot of them lost their head, and um, and like I said before, alluded to before that the, the stadium had an effect on that, but. Um, you have to you have to suggest that he did panic, and, and you have to. There's a lot of people criticising PSG today, and, and and saying you know, pointing at their mentality, and and, and pointing out that you know whether they have leaders on the pitch. But you know, when that game goes one nil, I I don't think they do too badly, and but then and it's hard to judge how they react to the second goal because they reacted awfully because suddenly they see the third. But you, you would think. They have enough players, enough good players on that pitch that they can kill 10, 15 minutes out of that game. You know, Marco Verratti can put his foot on the ball and Messi can keep hold of the ball for, you know, for God knows how long. And, and they could kill, you know, a lot of the tempo that, and momentum that Real Madrid have built up. They, they just didn't do it. And, and you wonder you know, where the blame lies on that, whether it's, you know, one of the centre halves not being vocal enough to manage on the sidelines, Pochettino, whether he, he didn't, you know, bark out the orders enough. Or, or, or I don't, you know, he's a weird one that yesterday, Pochettino, because I didn't really see him on the touchline much. Every time I've seen him, but maybe that's, that's just the way, you know, it looked on, on the TV, let's say. So maybe I'm, I'm being harsh on that. But every time it cut to him, he's sort of sunk in his chair, just sort of accepting what had happened. And, uh, you know, and I wonder whether you know that's something to say about his future. But let's let's not delve into that too much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, Mark. Do you, do you blame uh, do you blame the players for this, or or did it kind of expose Pochettino's limitations tactically a little bit? Maybe um, not necessarily, because I thought they were better in the first leg and they were better in the first forty five minutes. The tide turns on massive parts of the game, and I know that Ralph Ragnick was talking about this actually with United recently, saying the coach coaches. And on a Saturday, you just sort of sit back and your job's done. Because once they cross the white line, the players have to be able to think for themselves. I can't pin anything of what Donnarumma did on Pochettino. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, you're the best goalkeeper in the world. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, and if he doesn't do that, I don't think Real Madrid get the momentum. And I think PSG see out the rest of the game. So to put that all on, you know, leadership qualities and squad, this, that and the other. And, you know, it's made up of a team who... If 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 leaders come from winners from being a winner, you know I I don't have the actual stats on this, but if you were to um, put every single title that every PSG player had put on top of one another, including obviously Messi and Neymar and everything they've won in French football, it would outweigh any other club in European football and thus give them more leadership. So I don't think you can really use that stick to beat the team of Pochettino with. I just think on the night. Errors were made, and uh, yeah, it's it's an unfortunate one for them. There's, there's a stat under um, that get get French football news posted earlier on today about 
uh, under KSI, under the ownership in, in 95 Champions League games, they very come from behind to win in just six of them, which are maybe suggests all you need to know about PSG's resolve and mentality. <laughs> Is it a problem that they're not being challenged regularly enough at domestic level that when they get to these these big knockout games, they don't really have the mental preparation for it, do you think? There's a, there's a possibility. I think, I think it's a fair question to, to, to ask and pose at them. Um, I'm not sure what they do about that because, you know, do they have to throw some kind of idea that Bundesliga is thrown out recently about getting playoffs to make the league more competitive, mm. which just, I don't know, dissolves the the use of a league really um quite possibly but PSG have lost games recently you know they've been they've been forced against recently and you know and, you know lost to Nantes and and you know they lost another away game which the team escapes me at the top of my head um so you know they've been challenged again recently but they're still obviously again you know miles ahead in the title race and, and gonna win league games so I think that's a, a fair question to ask but again they didn't win the league last season so maybe they're not the old conquering you know, for that we we think. Yeah, I wonder if they started to change their mind about joining the old Super League. Yeah, that'd be a interesting one to keep an eye on, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any complaints about that uh, that Real Madrid goal, the first one, Matt? I mean, you said it was a, a mistake from Donnarumma. PSG were pretty furious about it. Do you think they were they were clutching at straws? It should should it have been a foul or, or no? Weirdly enough, if that happens outside the box, that's a free kick all day, every day. Yeah. All you have to do is kick the ball away and then go down like someone's touched you and you get a free kick <laughs> anywhere else on the pitch. So I can see why they'd want that given. Um, you know what's funny about some of these free kicks is that sometimes I think the referees, and this is probably just me thinking about this, I think the referees give some free kicks and some decisions as almost to sort of show up the player <laughs> and go, you, you know what, Donnarumma, shouldn't have done that. You're yeah. silly, not going to give a free kick now. Like, like it, it always happens when a player tries to do too much and then they win a throw-in and the ref gives it the other way to go, oh, see, you should have passed it. <laughs> like, like, even if it wasn't a decision, it, it's almost one of those things where that because a goal was scored straight after, you don't want to give the free kick and rule out like all the hard work that Benzema's done yeah. and al- almost save the stupidity and save Donnarumma's face. <laughs> But uh, I, I think they could feel hard done by on the replay. But in real time, I'm just thinking you showed too much of it to Benzema yeah. and get rid of the ball. There's it, almost like an unspoken spirit of the game rule, isn't there? Almost like yeah, like, everyone I'm, wants I'm to not see the show off mugged off. Yeah, I'm not going to protect you from trying to dribble in your own six yard box. Yeah, mate. It's it, your own it, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants like the the you know the flashy one to lose. You watch out for it next time. I'm telling you, it happens in the Premier League when a player tries to do too much. They'll never get the decision at the end of it, whether it's a throw-on or a foul or anything. It's almost like, yeah, yeah. told you. <laughs> Let, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, some players specifically now. We'll start with with Karim Benzema with his uh, the hat-trick hero. Um, I don't think it's very revelatory to say that he's an incredible footballer, is it, John? <laughs> no, it's not, is it? I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's third that's thing. Uh, he's not that good. <laughs> he's up there. Um, that third goal is just... Remarkable, the instinctive finish on it. I mean, you f- I think most players, nine out of ten players, probably take a touch in that circumstance and try and you know, maybe kill the ball in. He just sort of just swings a foot at it, and, and that's that's doing him a disservice because he's obviously what he's done is absolutely brilliant. He knows exactly what he's doing, and to beat Don and Roma in the in the far bottom corner, it's a hard thing to do because the guy's bloody massive. Um, he's, and it all comes down to Benzema was the only one who was going to score last night because, you know, he tests on the run in the first half. He has a header which goes wide. He, he looked like the only one who was going to be able to get Real Madrid back in, back in the game in, in that sense. And, you know, he's now overtaking Alfredo De Stefano in, in the Real Madrid goal-scoring ranks, which is, you know, no little feats. And he's, it seems to be, as he's sort of reached first, he, he seems to be improving every year after that. Yeah. Which gives me hope for a lad who just recently turned thirty. That you know, the life isn't <laughs> over just yet, and, um, and he's incredible. And I just love the celebration of our third goal because I, I don't think he actually sort of registered what he'd actually done. He, he looked, you know, emotional. He, he just like, and then I think he sort of slides down, and, and then he realizes that you know this is all about me. I am the one, and he's uh, it's a night that's going to go down in history for that, that performance. And I've, I've run out of words what to say about him because he's. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm the same age as Karen Benzema. I think we're both at our peak, actually. I think uh, he, he would agree with that, yeah. 
<laughs> Luka Modric, meanwhile, he's 36. Matt, when he left Spurs in, what, 2008 or whatever it was, did you, did you expect him to still be bossing Champions League midfields in 2022? He joined in 2008. Oh, it was 2012. Yeah, so ten, yeah, yeah. ten years on. Uh, no, especially as he was voted La Liga's worst signing of the season in his <laughs> first right. year. Yeah, yeah. He was. Um, no, I did not expect him to still be bossing it, but that's probably more... Um, says more about my scouting ability than it does about Luka Modric's <laughs> midfield ability because he's got all the tools to continue to do so. And it's just... There's, there's something about him which it sort of... It shocks you, but it doesn't shock you. You think about his game and you think how he's never relied on being overly physical or overly quick. He's just always had sort of an old man's head, even when he was a younger player. And he did things smarter and he did things at a different speed, sort of mentally to other players. And you could see it last night. But yeah, I I mean, there was obviously that run as well when he, he sort of bullied Messi off the ball and was looking very fit for someone who's 36. But I think mentally to be so sharp, it shouldn't be a surprise that he can still pull off these performances. Yeah, I wonder if, he, if, he's, if he's ever going to stop, basically. He's just, he's, yeah. I could imagine we'll still be talking about him in four years and he's still doing it at the, at the top level. Yeah, he just... I don't, I don't see why not. I yeah. mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. His control over the game is, is insane. Yeah. Amazing player, amazing player. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, I was really impressed with Eduardo Camavinga in that second half. Do you think this was maybe his coming of age as a Real Madrid player, Joel? I know there's been a little bit of talk recently about maybe things haven't quite worked out since his move in the summer. Maybe they will, they'd be looking to offload him in the summer. I mean, on this evidence, I think he's got a very bright future ahead of him. Hasn't oh, yeah, he? I think he has. And I think the issue for, for Camavinga this season and, and also for uh, Ferdinand Valverde is that they can't get that midfield of Casemiro, Cruz and, and Modric out. And, you know, Real Madrid signed them expecting you know those two players and Camavinga in particular to be the, the next step in and next transition of that midfield and these lads who are all above thirty you know, like we just said about Modric just just keep on surprising and keep out keep on outliving probably longer than even they expect themselves but <laughs> definitely longer than the, the club expected and I think Camavinga's time has come out I think he's done himself no uh, disservice yesterday was performed he, he comes on like we alluded to before he, he was brilliant when he comes on and, and shows his talents and it's it's still early days for him you know you know he joins in the summer he's not played as much as he expected but Ancelotti obviously trusts him enough to throw him on in that game to to get the club back in, back into the tie and, and made himself proud and I think it's one of them to keep an eye on I, I don't think the club will loan him out or sell, or sell him now but he'll be going back and, and looking at Modric and Cruz and going lads any chance of acting like you actually are 36 and 33 please <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, do you think it's a shame talking about PSG now that, that nobody will remember Kylian Mbappe's performance in this game or, or do you think it'll still be remembered? Do you think Real Madrid fans will be thanking him when he plays for them next season? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely won't be remembered in comparison to Benzema. But I was thinking about this beforehand, right? What would be the perfect solution for Real Madrid fans? It would be that Mbappe plays well enough to make them think he's worth signing, but not too well so that Real Madrid don't go through. <laughs> yeah. And this was it. Yeah. This was literally the perfect... He he played brilliantly in the first leg and they thought, well, he's some player, we should sign him. He gave them a glimpse of what he could do at the Bernabeu in the first half and then was like, I'm gracious enough to let you win. So, <laughs> you know, all's well that ends well. <laughs> that, uh, that goal that was disallowed of his was so well taken, wasn't it? It was, it was a bit of a shame that was disallowed, really. Oh my god! When he he's the the step over. Yeah. If I, any of the rule makers of football are listening, which they probably aren't, they should um you know to keep on trying to change football and the way it's going. If one rule they should have is that at least one every season, every club should get an offside goal, given if it's just incredible if it's beautiful. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I like that like last night and Andy yeah. Carroll's two for red in the other week. Um, sometimes you know, fair enough, it's a good goal, maybe offside, but yeah, screw it, it goes, it counts. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as for as for Lionel Messi and Neymar, I mean, Messi came in the summer with the intention of winning the Champions League. It's not happened this year. It, it feels like he his, his days at the very top are over, doesn't it? And, and Neymar, Joel, is it an exaggeration to say that's possibly the worst 200 million euros that's ever been spent? I, I can't remember him having a, a, a good game in a big game in the whole time he's been at PSG. Uh, I'm not sure. It might be a, a little harsh because you know he's. <sighs> I am struggling to think about right performances now in the Champions League, but you know, there, there have been games where I think he has shown up. And but the, the, when it comes down to it, Neymar and Messi were signed 
with with the idea of PSG will win the Champions League and, and and those two Neymar before Messi would help him help along with, with that and um, it hasn't happened and I think there's going to be a lot of you know scope and a lot of attention on on PSG over the next coming days on on how, how the future looks for them you know will the owners are, are going to sort of you know fund another charge at it or whether it's just you know is, is it never going to happen like it's mm. it's, a, it's a real strange one because you know it's Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. You know, it's a front three that anyone plays FIFA. That's that's what, you know, it's a football <laughs> kind of front three, isn't it? And you, and you think that should be enough, even if the, the lads behind you aren't up to scratch, but they've still got guys behind them, which are you know in the roots for being in the top 40, 50 best players in the world, and the likes of Verratti, Marquinhos, and and it's and, and Donna Rummer, and, and it's it just it's really strange that it's, it's not happened, but. Um, I don't need you know to get close against Bayern Munich and that Bayern Munich team's incredible, but it's, you're just wondering what they've got to do to win it. And you know, I'm intrigued what they're going to do next with their manager because you imagine Pochettino's days are numbered now. Uh, I think that's fair to suggest. And you know, where where do they turn next? And all the rumours been about Zinedine Zidane, hasn't it? And if that happens, I think that'll probably put in the best place to go and win the Champions League because you know that's a manager who. You know, I think his credentials are fair to be questioned in terms of how good he is as an actual coach. But what he, you know, what he has been good at in the past is dealing with a team of Galacticos and managing to set them up in a way that they can end up being successful in Europe. And he, he did that with Real Madrid. So I'd be looking at that and thinking if they'd end up doing that and that happens, I'd consider PSG a threat again. Yeah, well, I'll put that question to you, Matt. Where do PSG go from here? I mean, Mbappe surely off in the summer. He's going to be a very hard player to replace. Pochettino probably gone too. Who do you think they go for as manager? Are they going to bounce back quickly, or, or is this this lavishly funded project of theirs in danger of unraveling a little bit? Oh, oh potentially, potentially. Yeah, I think the weirdly enough, the one thing they do have to fall back on is their success in Liga. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that the same thing sort of goes for you know pretty much most of the big teams um, around Europe, bar a couple in the Premier League, is that when things like this go to part, as they have recently for let's say Spurs, Arsenal, Manchester United as well, when you know Liverpool were at the Champions League, it takes a lot in your league to get back into the Champions League to get the money and the revenue back up. It's not really the same with PSG, regardless of what happens in the in the Champions League, you know, being knocked out of the round of 16. They have Champions League football to offer. They have big money for transfer fees to offer, wages to offer, um, a top coach to offer. It's not it's not quite as damaging as, you know, if you suggested to any manager, do you want to go to Tottenham? <laughs> after Conte, you know, that scene is an absolute poison chalice. Um, you know, offer a player to join Manchester United, they're thinking, oh, am I actually going to be in the Champions League? I don't really know. You know, th- th- this doesn't really affect PSG. So although this particular part of the project hasn't been a success, um, they've still got absolutely everything that you'd need to start another <laughs> one. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not a question of, yeah, like I mentioned before, not having the attraction or the money to, yeah. to kickstart. I was, sort of, I was sort of racking my brains thinking about this this net last night. Who, who do they replace Mbappe with? Who did they replace Pochettino with? I couldn't stop thinking about Ronaldo and Mourinho. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> okay. I, I read somewhere that Conte would be the, the, right. the, the choice okay. for PSG. And I think they're sort of running out of top yeah. managers to go mm-hmm. for. Um, and I think Conte would probably probably take the chance to jump ship from Spurs to PSG and that would see Pochettino yeah. back at Spurs. But maybe that's just my fantasy. But yeah, in, in terms of players, same sort of thing really. They can they can sort of pick off whoever they want really. Whoever's not already at a top club, I'm, I'm sure yeah. PSG have enough to tell. That's another thing I was thinking about as well. I mean, there are only so many good coaches to go around. Uh, you know, Guardiola mm. leaving City this, this season and if he, if he did, I don't know whether we'd go to PSG. I, you know, Klopp's not leaving Liverpool anytime soon. Those two clubs are the best set-up clubs in the world, it seems, really. And I feel like PSG have sort of done everything wrong that City have done right. They've they've gone for the big marquee names. They've gone for the um, Galacticos, the, the, the players that are going to sell you shirts. They've not built a system. They've not built an infrastructure. They've not found the right coach. It's just It just seems like they've, they've, they've made so many kind of missteps where City have got things right over the years. I think the two clubs obviously get compared a lot of, for, for obvious reasons, but I think they, they've done things yeah. quite differently. Do, do you think that, that PSG winning Liga for the majority sort of papers over the cracks where they don't actually realise, oh, hold on, we need to a good an, team to win the Champions yeah. League? 
Because anyone they put out, they pretty much I mean, they seem to have game. neglected the midfield quite a lot in recent years, I, w- I would suggest. That that seems to be a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit yeah, oversight true. from them. But, you know, that's it, where City can win the Premier League and that be considered a great achievement. PSG win League, league and no one cares. They've got to win the Champions League. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, very different kettle of fish. Pogba. Yeah, he's, Pogba's he's, the man he's definitely PSG. There, yeah, I reckon, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, last question on this game, Joel. Do you think Real Madrid have got enough to win the Champions League this season? I didn't consider him a team that could win it at the start of the knockout rounds, um, because I think, and, and a lot, of the, I think a lot of people the club know this, and it mentioned in, in a piece on the Athletic today that they know that that club that the team needs to sort of transition now into the next phase because a lot of their players are past their peak. But there's just something about Real Madrid in the European Cup and in this competition, and that's what hit home to me last night is that. They've just got this thing about them in this competition. And, and that, even if they're not the strongest team, they're just so romantic with it in, in a way that a lot of the clubs left it, left in their arms. And, and when you've still you've got Benzema up, up front, and if he's quiet for 180 minutes of a, of a, of a tie, or, sorry, 140 minutes of a tie like he was this time round, you can still go and score a hat trick in the next 20 minutes and, and, and get your team through. And, and I think that while they've got that and while Benzema's fit and Vinicius gets back to the sharpness that he showed earlier on in the season and Modric defies logic and age, then I think they've got a chance and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up in the final four at least. There we go. Uh, well, elsewhere this week, Liverpool sealed their passage to the final eight uh, despite a 1-0 defeat to Inter Anfield. Is there any cause for concern about this result uh, from Liverpool's point of view, Joel? Or was it, as, as Jurgen Klopp suggests afterwards, kind of a good game to lose, really? Yeah, I, I can I would agree with Jurgen to to a certain extent. There, I, I think his team selection before the game made me a little bit nervous because he he puts in Thiago, Alcantara, Curtis Jones, and and Joe Matip, who have all missed games recently and picked up you know a few knocks here and there. And that team suggested to me he was trying to get them sharp ahead of you know the, the running coming up with the Premier League and the FA Cup and obviously the, the last stage of the Champions League. And he was using this game to do it and. I can see why, in a way, because we're two 0 up, and and you know from from the first leg and into that to go to Anfield, score three goals to win. So you could say the tie was as much done as as a knockout tie can be, but it was it was a big risk to do it. And I think Liverpool's performance was you you I think you go into that. And I think the fans and, and the coaching staff would, would be uh, trying to approach that of a way of you act like it's nil nil and you go for it and, and kill it off as soon as you can, or you, you sort of do what we did where you just, you know, a bit of a halfway house approach to the game and it, it played out like that. And without, I don't want to criticise them too much because Liverpool do hit the woodwork three times and, and yeah. probably to win the game. But if you don't approach a knockout uh, game with the full concentration and full sharpness, one moment can turn it. And it looked like that was going to happen when, when Martinez does what he does in the, in the 61st minute. And, and, and suddenly, you know, Inter could have gone into the last five minutes of that game at 1-0 and suddenly get a set piece and, and, and pull the game back and go to extra time and suddenly you're in peril. So it's, I, I think it's fine now. I think we got away with it, but uh, that could have went west very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think Inter had the moments over the course of the tie. They're a good side, aren't they? But I think Liverpool deserved to win overall, didn't they? The, the XG, all the stats kind of put in Liverpool's favour, but kind of pulling out from this tie a little bit. Is is there any cause for concern about their form in general at the moment? I mean, against West Ham last week, they were maybe a little bit fortunate to grind that one out in the end. Possibly, yeah. I, I think you know we're not scoring goals as freely as we were a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. I think that's obviously got to be a, a bit of a cause for concern. But I would, I think we answer that question after their next performance because I hope, hopefully, it's a bit of a wake up call for them that they, they need to be on it if they're, if they're going to achieve what they want to achieve for the rest of the season. Um, and I guess we see when they play Brighton at the weekend whether you know they are back on it because maybe may a bit of complacency has set in because. You know, Liverpool at the start of the year were out of the title race and feeling a bit down about themselves and then within three months they're back in the title race got a new player in Luis Diaz and they've won the trophy and then you know suddenly they maybe start maybe they start to have themselves a little bit but that, that, that's absolutely fine if you direct if you channel that confidence in, in the right way and um, I think the last couple of games, I mean, West Ham gave Liverpool a really good game and, and then Inter obviously did the same and, and, and Liverpool maybe lacking a bit of sharpness in that and 
but I think we see the the effects of that at the weekend. And if if the back on against Brighton, I think to the inter game and, and everything that's happened in the past week, as as I had the desired effect, it's woken them up and gotten them back into a jolt. Yeah, you're looking forward to drawing City in the Champions League and playing those three times in a row. Absolutely not, me. <laughs> oh God, I'll be, I, I, that will kill me if that happens. It, it literally will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any complaints, Matt, about the um, the second yellow card for Alexis Sanchez in this game? And, and do you agree with uh, Arsene Wenger when he said that Fabinho made a bit of a meal of the challenge? He said it, it, Wenger said he was uh, cheating, which I thought was a bit extreme. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bit extreme. I think if someone studs you, yeah. then it's going to hurt and you're going to make a bit of a meal of it, especially if they're on the second yellow. I think it's harsh considering you got the ball first. Um, ah, and it, it, again, it's one of those where it's completely different when you look at it on yeah. the replay. Everyone just seems to be obsessed with screenshotting and freeze framing. <laughs> and, and it's just a complete, it tells a completely different story. Um, I think I'd like to see a bit of sense employed there that you know he's clearly got the ball his foot's obviously very dangerous but he's he's making an attempt to get the ball but yeah as, as a second yellow card maybe I can't really yeah, have too many complaints yeah, I thought it was pretty much fair enough as well uh, mm. elsewhere Bayern Munich are also in the last eight after they smashed Salzburg 7-1 on Tuesday night they looked in a, a little bit of jeopardy after only drawing that first leg needing a, a late equaliser there but did you ever believe Bayern wouldn't prevail Matt? No, this is such a Bayern Munich thing to do. They sort of throw curveballs in there, throw poor results in before going, only kidding, we're actually well good. Uh, it's like they just sort of dial up and dial down whenever they please. And I was sitting there before the game thinking, this might be a tight one if Salzburg get their way. Or Bayern Munich will explicably just turn it on and absolutely blow them away. And yep. this is only what happened. It, it, was, it seems to be one of those where I often feel like with Bayern Munich, the score line dictates a lot of certainly press coverage from with, um, from outside of the country. Whereas when you look at how they play in most games and they have a lot of shots on target, their chance creation is normally pretty good. It's more of a case of where they put it in the goal or not. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily uh, indicative of how poorly they've played. It's just whether or not they've managed to put the yeah. ball in the back of the net. And on, on a night where they do do that, you know, they end up <laughs> with seven. And that's just that they're capable of it in a lot of games. Well, when, when Robert Lewandowski's around, you're going to be putting the ball in that quite a lot, aren't you? He got a, he yeah, got a hat trick exactly. here. That means he surpassed Gerd Muller to become Bayern's all-time leading goal scorer in Europe. Uh, who who's the better number nine for you, Joel? Is it Lewandowski or Benzema? Oh, that's a hell of a question, that isn't it? Um, <laughs> or someone, or someone else. I was going to say, yeah, Kane. might not just be between <laughs> those two. I mean, in terms of sort of outright number nines in, in modern in, in football at the moment. It's the probably the the two up there, aren't they? Um I'll just personal opinion I think Ben's a more in a way because of his all round game and and because he's he's sort of become a better finisher over time and that and that is sort of dampening with fake praise because he's always been great in front of goal of course he has but he sort of sacrificed himself when Ronaldo and Bale were at Real Madrid and sort of made his game about setting goals up for them and, and getting them involved and, and suddenly he's taken on the lead role and, and become as lethal as he can but uh, I mean you can't, can't fall tired with him but reference, <laughs> I'll just go for Benzema just yeah you're going with Kane but... I, I thought he was going to go full <laughs> give up on us well, that's answer, yeah, but... <laughs> are you sticking with Harry Kane Matt uh, in terms of an all-round footballer, I've, I haven't. I am yet to see Benzema or Lewandowski control, pass, and manipulate the ball in the way that Kane does. But in terms of goal scorers and consistent, yeah, those two are. Yeah. Those two are. I'll, I'll go with Lewandowski. I think. Uh, I'll ask you the same question about Bayern, Matt. That I asked. Uh, that I asked Joel about Real Madrid. Do you think Bayern can win the Champions League? I, I think we kind of just summed up their chances there. That if Lewandowski's on it they're going to score more goals and they're going to concede. Um, so you'd probably... Leroy Sané's on it as well, by the way. Five goals and five assists in yeah. the Champions League already this season. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. I feel like Bayern Munich are one of those teams on paper, you'd, you'd put them man for man up against any team and, and expect them to beat them. But I think there might be a bit of... Um, I, I think it's harsh to call out Julian Nagelsmann tactically, but I think up against someone like Ancelotti or Guardiola, they may be able to to stifle Bayern somewhat and get and really get at their defence. I think Bayern Munich are a little bit top-heavy 
in, in the way that PSG are, not as badly. Um, but I think they're a little bit top-heavy and their, their defenders aren't always necessarily at quite the same level. But like we mentioned before, if Lewandowski is going to score a ridiculous amount of goals, you're going to find it very hard to outscore him. But the one thing I think got going for them is that they, I think they are probably the only team left that can deal with the intensity of the Premier League team. So if they draw City yeah. or Liverpool next round, they could probably make that game a basketball game and you know they would have a really good chance of getting in. You know, where Real Madrid can be considered a team that could get to semi-finals based on their now of winning this competition, Bayern Munich could get there because they can just blow teams away. Like I, I, I'd love to see them play Man City because I think that would be a, you know a game for the ages. But and that, that's the kind of game that City could be win that four nil on, on one tie, or Bayern could be three up in the first twenty minutes. Like, but like you said, the one thing that, again that's going, going against them is their you know their defense and that, how weak they can be found there. Oh yeah, I, I, I was going to kind of just basically echo that, and I think it, it's so true that Bayern Munich can be very not hot and cold. But they can just turn things on. I don't think that there's a, a two-legged game, uh, a two-legged fixture in which you look at the first one and think oh, they're sort of they're out of this because they could just they can pull something out the hat in in a one game that can really really just sort of override both legs. And I think City can as well. So yeah, you're right. That that City buying game that I've now suddenly convinced myself is going to be drawn. <laughs> Uh, would, would would be amazing. <laughs> uh, we're getting not talking about Liverpool in the next round. Don't worry about it. It's not happening. <laughs> well, there isn't much to say about City's nil-nil draw with Sporting, except uh, wasn't it nice to see Scott Carson come off the bench for only his second ever Champions League appearance? Lovely little moment that I thought. The only Champions League player in your current squad. Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I checked this last night because I was going to maybe make a mocking tweet about it, but then Benzema scored a hat trick, so couldn't. But I. Uh, yeah, he's got he's got your notes for the Champions League. <laughs> well, I was going to say, can you can you tell me which fixture he made his first Champions League appearance in? Yeah, he played against Juventus when Liverpool went on to win the Champions League in two thousand five. He did all right. We did make a mistake for Juventus' goal when we won two one. Yeah, fifth of April two thousand five. That's a long time to wait between your first and second Champions that League. That has appearance. to be the longest wait between a first and but second. It must Champions be. League. It must be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll uh, maybe we'll. Both of our goalkeepers will get injured and it'll play for us in the final this year. And it's not Roy the Rovers. That's <laughs> <laughs> a dream scenario, that is. I mean, he, play, he played against Newcastle in the, in the Premier League last year and could barely move, so I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't fancy our chances. <laughs> Let's have some predictions for the uh, the second half of the, the round of 16. The game's coming next week. You don't have to tell me the score, just tell me who you think is going to go through. So, uh, Matt, we'll start with you with Man United v Atletico Madrid. That's 1-1 from the first leg. Who's going uh, through? I'm going to go Atletico. Joel? I think, I think United, United will do it. Yeah, yeah. Ajax v Benfica, Matt? 2-2 uh, two, two from the first leg. Ajax. Joel? Yeah, Ajax. Yeah, same, agreed, yeah. agreed. Uh, Juv- Juventus v Real, that's 1-1 one, one from the first leg. Uh, ooh. I quite like the Real, but I'm going to say Juve. I'm going to say they just have a Yeah, enough. me too. I think there'll be at least one shock in the rest of the ties, I think Villarreal will get it. Oh, okay. So you don't think it'll be Lille coming back to beat Chelsea then? Well, Chelsea will be able to play <laughs> That's a good question, game. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. yeah, me too. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit before we finish about uh, the big news from Chelsea today, uh, which is that Ron- owner Roman Abramovich's assets have been frozen by the British government following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It means he cannot sell the club until the sanctions are lifted. Uh, it means Chelsea can't buy or sell players. They can't even sell tickets or merchandise. They can sell hot pies on match day, though. So I guess that's the most important thing here. Um well, the dust has yet to really settle on this, Matt, but what, what do you think this means for the, the short and long-term future of Chelsea? Well, I, it, it's weird that I, apparently these sanctions sort of may apply until the end of May or there were some laws from Russia that may apply until the end of May. I think outside of a transfer window in mid-season, as long as they turn up to games, I'm not sure what kind of um, impact it'll have on the team. Sounds like their game against Norwich... Uh, this evening, Thursday, is it this evening? Yeah. Uh, the Thursday evening is, is going ahead as normal. And I think from a footballing side, there won't be too much from it. But moving forward, it will massively impact the sale and the sale price and how the transition 
basically goes ahead. You know, the, the debt is also frozen as well from from um, Roman Abramovich. As much as he wanted to write that off uh, last week when selling to a potential buyer, they'll have to take that on as well. And I think what it's also going to do is going to be a real Chelsea aside. You know, there, there was talk of a points deduction, which I don't quite think is going to happen. That, um, that would only happen if they went into administration. Exactly. Think, yeah. An administration would be if the club were to be sold out of Chelsea's hands, basically. Um, and and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And the only way it could be sold, some reports I was seeing, was that if none of it actually went to Russia or to Roman Abramovich. Yeah. Um, but again, that's sort of a little bit down the line. I think the major impact we'll see is in English football as a whole. There were lots of people saying, well, how can this be um, when mm. the, the Premier League in the UK have just allowed... Um, a Saudi takeover at Newcastle you know do they officially have to be involved in war before we start looking into their background and you know where the money came from and this that and the other so I think when it comes to new owners taking over and the way that certain football clubs are run within the UK the impact will be far longer lasting than maybe just sanctions for the next few months yeah do you feel sorry for Chelsea fans at all today Joel or do you think this is what you uh, the sort of risk you take when you when you celebrate the success that comes from this kind of money it's a tough one to answer because there is part of me and there is, a, there is an answer where you know football fans should just be able to celebrate their football club and, and not have to worry about you know the, the bigger picture and, and and what you know who owns their club and and you know about politics. But I guess you know when you the way football has gone and, and the people who are involved in football now, football fans maybe their relationship with clubs have to change and and they have to be sort of. You know, stand in a position where they, they you know, consider who, who comes into their club and who runs them, and and, and maybe <sighs> have to be a bit more skeptical about the future. But it's not necessary. I, I don't like the idea of pointing the blame of football fans in, in that case, and and that goes to not just Chelsea fans. That goes to every fan of every football club across the country, across Europe, because you know the people who are running football have, have sort of let a lot of people come in who maybe shouldn't be running football clubs. And, you know, there has been a lot of gloating about Chelsea's downfall today, and I I completely understand that, but this could happen to any club at any time. Uh, Or or most clubs, let's say, who are run by businessmen or business people, because under this model, that's currently in English football anyway, any club is one, you know, shift away in, in, in politics, you know, a war breaking out or, or someone doing something that he shouldn't yeah. be doing or or even the business that the, you know, that has made these people money could could fall yeah. overnight and, and then suddenly any club could be in this, in, in this situation where they're looking at, you know, maybe not, not existing and that's a dramatic uh, avenue to go down. That, that could happen and I think, I, I think as Matt sort of was suggesting there, I think, Football could take this as a chance yeah. to change, and, and English football, and, and maybe have a look at the ownership model that currently in place. But you've said that about the Super League, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it. Drastic reform is needed, isn't it? It's been needed yeah, for a while. The there needs to be some fan ownership brought into clubs. They need to get clubs yeah. back into back into the hands of the right people and out out of the hands of billionaires. Basically, you know, I'm a City fan. I've I've enjoyed our success that's come from the Abu Dhabi ownership as much as anybody. But there was a there was a story during the rounds last week that they were saying that uh, there might be stricter regulations on um, people owning football clubs that come from countries with bad human rights records. And you know, I'm all for that if if it's done fairly. If if every club is subject to the same regulation and the regulations are really tight, and if that means that City's owners aren't allowed to own the club anymore and we lose loads of money and we we're not as good anymore, then so be it. Like that's the health. The health of the game has to be more important than than individual clubs. Um, being successful and at the moment it's just a massive bun fight among billionaires isn't it that's all football is and and there are serious real world costs to the way this money is being spent and where it comes from yeah i i I would also say as well that there seems to be i don't want to get into the the whole idea of you know traditional fans what they're called legacy fans (laughs) and uh and the new fans of the super league but it, it it also does come from almost a globalization of football that you can say it's for the good of the game, Dan, but as homegrown almost supporters who care about the club in terms of the community and in terms of knowing where your money is going, it's vastly different mm. from having a global brand where people don't care about that. 
you know, if if Chelsea, if Manchester City were to lose their money but do things the right way and give back to the community and be something that Manchester could be proud of and not have as much money and not be successful, you know, people around the world may not have such a connection or really care, if, if I'm honest, about yeah. it that much. And I think it's something that a lot of clubs and football in general is going to struggle with, is that how do you quantify or justify that for the good of football um, whilst also sacrificing the need and the drive to be successful yeah. in, in, you know, in a business which is run off making more money and being even more successful. We've seen it with UEFA and with FIFA and with the Premier League as well. So it, it's really going to be difficult where somebody somewhere is going to have to cut their success and be like, you know what, we're doing this for the good of the game. Is every fan going to be on board? You know, is that <laughs> Absolutely sort of not. Yeah, yeah. Sit there and go, for the greater good. You know, it's not hot yeah. fuzz. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it's going to be a bit of an odd one. I I personally feel for the Chelsea fans, you know, who who didn't ask for this takeover mm. to happen. Um, but I also think a while back, even the Chelsea and City takeovers, there wasn't such a social media presence back then to the point where fans' voices could be heard or or to the point where fans could make a statement and if, if it got enough of a enough of a um arousal in the public then you know something could yeah. happen you know i i'm thinking about spurs completely vetoing gattuso being um manager spurs fans because they kicked up a fuss on twitter <laughs> like how many tweets were around when abramovich took over none yeah i mean I, there wasn't as much sort of social awareness and consciousness yeah, of these exactly. things at the time you know um, most city fans wouldn't have been able to point to Abu Dhabi on a map when we got taken over in 2008 and now <laughs> everyone, everyone knows where it is and everyone knows exactly yeah. what the what, what the, the government there is about and, and everything so i know it's, the word sports washing wasn't part of the popular lexicon until about 2013-14 i would say and, and now everybody yeah. knows, knows what that means don't they so yeah it's it's a big conversation that you know, we shouldn't be having, we're not qualified to have it. We've tried our best. Let's finish on a positive note and just go back to what we said at the start. And, you know, I've, I've had my issues with UEFA, I've had my issues with the Champions League, but that was a fucking great game of football last night and I really fucking enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm glad we talked about it today because it was great. So let's end it there. Thank you, lads. I enjoyed that very much. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, I'll be back talking European football again next week. Matt, you'll be back on Monday talking about the old Barclays, I assume. Yes, sir. I will do. Monday Lovely stuff. And remember, if you want to get questions into any of our podcasts including the women's football podcast with lewis the email address is podcast at take care and i'll see you soon